Hello and good morning, everyone. Welcome to Season 4, Episode 9 of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. I'm Ryan Wolt, and on every other episode of this show, we try to get a little bit coffee smarter. I'm really excited to share this episode with you because it is the first time this season that Siri Simran Khalsa, the executive director of coffee at Lofty Coffee, is rejoining the show. Just seeing her on the other side of our virtual recording lifted my spirits. Today we catch up and then talk about how Siri goes about developing flavor in the coffee roasting process. You might remember that we covered the same question earlier this season with Chris O'Brien of Coffee Cycle Roasting. Siri and Chris use different equipment, roast on a different scale, and are at very different points in their roasting journey, which led me to hypothesize that they might have different answers. So double check to make sure that you have enough coffee brewed because it is time for us to get coffee smarter on the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. This show, actually, like us recording virtually, I just assumed we'd be doing this in person by now. I and know. then when Omicron hit and I was starting the season, I thought, you know what? Why not just do another one in the closet? And now I kind of feel like it's really convenient to be able to just stay home, <laughs> like it connect with people works. like you who are busy. Yeah. And I can still go out and um, like I went to Camp Coffee. I'm going to Zoom Bar next week set up the microphone and talk to people, but there's no stress of like trying to like meet in person and make sure everything works and just this, you click a button, we chat, we record. And, and I should say, Siri, uh, Simran Kalsa, welcome back to the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast. Thank you for having me. It's honestly, this is season four, correct? Yeah, we, we're about to hit 80 episodes. Wow, you've been putting in the work. <laughs> Yeah, it's been, um, I did like the numbers one day and it was so depressing about how many minutes of my life I've spent doing the show. <laughs> and, and I don't mean depressing in the sense that I haven't loved it all, but it depressing in the sense that like when I did the math on how much money I made in return, yeah, I'm definitely at around like 57 cents an hour, uh, yeah. self-employment wages. <laughs> I mean, that's passion for you. (laughs) And I got to say, actually, when you emailed me the the list of potential topics for today, I was like, impressed in how you've been doing this for so long, yet you still have all this curiosity and also have a lot (laughs) of things to to talk about. Because I can understand, you know, how it can kind of, it could be repetitive or you're like, what's the next thing that we, we can discuss. Uh, but you're still keeping it fresh and interesting. And I'm excited well, to you. be, be a part of it. Yeah. There is some concern about, about that because like the easy topics were in that first season of like, does water impact your coffee? Do, you know, why do we do this or what does this mean? And those were all like, I think beginner coffee things that people want to know if they discover this show so trying to maintain a coffee smarter episode where we're not losing the people who've been growing with the show, but we're also not over the head of the new people yeah. listening, because there seems to be more and more new people every week, uh, is also, it, it's, it's definitely tough. I've thought about it when I brainstormed some of these things as well. But a lot of the time, like they just kind of come up organically. I see an article in the newspaper or somebody says something to me and I don't know what it means. And, or I'm just like at the other day I was at the coffee shop and I thought, 
I don't really know how an AeroPress works. Like I'm not smart enough to look at it and figure it out. So like, I'm going to ask about that. You know, it's, I have like stress about it because I want people to be engaged, but also like, I still do have a lot of fun learning it. And even when I ask you something that maybe I already know a little bit about or Chris something, this stuff doesn't naturally make sense to me. So it just helps reinforce it over and over again. Yeah. And I think what's cool about some of this stuff is like, there's definitely some, some science and fact behind some things, but some other things, you know, are a little bit more up for interpretation. And so having these conversations, I'm sure you've experienced like different um, perspectives on that. Uh, that's true. And I have been indoctrinated a little bit into how I feel about coffee personally. And I've done some interviews over the past uh, couple of seasons that I'm not going to like pick any of them out, but like where they say something about coffee and I'm like, and Oh, like, well, I don't, Whoa. I don't think that, but then I'm like, well, that doesn't, that's not the point. The point is, is this is their story and their journey. And whether I agree or disagree doesn't matter because I'm not necessarily right either. Like it's just, yeah. you know, the, the knowledge that I have at hand in front of me and, and we've said on the show. Oh, go ahead. I, I was going to say, I feel like that is very much a thing too, is that we, a lot of people will get into what they believe or think about something, um, especially when it comes to coffee or really any passion. And um, <coughs> it's kind of, <laughs> and, and like, you know, really believe in it because it's like, it's their experience. And so it's always, it's interesting to also hear that and like also hear why people are so like leaning to one thought of coffee or the other. Well, yeah. And it's, it is about being, um, I think the show is about like encouraging people to embrace coffee. It's no different than when I started teaching people about craft beer and that business. But if somebody comes in and says, I only drink this because it's easy and light, I don't have to think about it. And they're like, I don't like craft beer because it's, you know, it's, it's too alcoholic or it's got too much this or that or the other coffee is no different. You say, well, you know what? If that's what you like, I bet you we can find something that kind of fits that world and and show you that there's a not necessarily a better way to do things, but just different. Like and and I think for for me, as many people as we can get to stop making their everyday cup of coffee, like that pre-ground, freeze-dried coffee that that has a place in the world, no arguing against it to some extent, but I also know doesn't necessarily support human beings in the same way that you know, craft coffee does. Yeah. That's, that's success for me. Before I ask you a question, cause I have one, I'm really excited to ask you since this is your first time on the show this year, I saw you poured yourself a cup of coffee earlier. I'm just wondering what you're drinking, if it's something from Lofty or what, you know, what are you getting excited about coffee wise? Yeah. So, um, I had mentioned before we started recording, I just took a trip. It was a camping climbing trip up North to Bishop. And there's this really sweet coffee company up there called Black Sheep. And this is an El Salvadorian coffee. It's an orange Bourbon. And it's really good. They're, they do a really good job. I, we stopped by and just like got a cup of coffee and had an espresso and decided to buy a bag on the way out. And like it's a bit of an unassuming shop. But the coffee's really good. Uh, definitely <laughs> on the lighter side. But what I really enjoy about it is that it's not overly acidic. So you still get that like nice light body and you get these like more nuanced flavors. But it's not like 
acid bomb. It's just like really balanced and smooth. Um, and I honestly, this cup's really cool. I, I'd say like tasty notes. I'm getting like a bit of like tangerine, maybe some sp- spices like it's like star anise or cinnamon and like dark chocolate. I don't know. It's really delicious. But it's got that like lighter, smooth body. But I've been wanting to get, I mean, I, I brew coffee at home, but not nearly as much as I'm sure a lot of other like passionate coffee people. Some people are like, if they come visit me, they're like, let's see your coffee setup. And it's like very underwhelming. (laughs) Uh, It's very basic because I'm, I'm working so much and we have, you know, the state of the art commercial equipment where I'm like, I'll just grab a coffee there. Or I like going out and getting a cup. Uh, But I'm definitely wanting to get more into brewing at home and buying, actually buying coffee beans and, you know, going through a bag. So that's what I'm drinking and it's delicious. I'm happy. I made it with a V60 this morning. I love that when I ask you about what you're drinking, you could have easily just used that moment to be like, oh, well, Lofty makes this great thing and plugged Lofty (laughs) Coffee, which is, and instead you're like, no, this is a shop that I went to and I want to celebrate their coffee. And that 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 is a great example of what I love about craft coffee in general. And I, I will say, I will... I will sell your coffee beans uh, and say that they're great at Lofty. But actually, a lot of our guests that come on this show, especially new roasters, which we've had two or three this season, have two or three more to go. They bring up Lofty a lot as an example of what they aspire to be. And so what? <laughs> not just because of the quality of the product, but because of the business sense behind it and you know being able to do new things and grow. And you just mentioned state of the art equipment. So my question today actually is, I know that recently, and I think you mentioned it last season, you guys upgraded to some new roasting equipment. And so I kind of want you to take an, kind of a look back over, you've, you've got a bunch of years of, of roasting behind you, and now you've got this great new equipment, uh, the Loring machine, uh, which we have talked about on the show too. But I'm wondering what you've learned about coffee from roasting and then kind of extending into that, how you identify and develop a flavor, like you just mentioned flavor notes for that coffee. How do you do that during the roasting process? And I will tell you that I also asked this exact same question to Chris O'Brien. Chris at Coffee Cycles in his first year of roasting um, their program, they're coming up at the end of their first year and they are doing it all on a relatively small machine. And so I'm really curious to see how your experience and growth contrasts with theirs. Yeah, I think that's a great question. It wasn't too much. <laughs> I feel like it was a big question. It was a big question, but I, I think I understand what you're what you're asking, and I'll um, I will definitely get in on it. So first, yes, in November we we got a new coffee roaster. It's the uh, Lorraine S thirty five Kestrel. So it's um, we were before roasting, and we're still roasting on the S fifteen uh, Falcon. And so as for mechanics, the, the roasters are very similar. Um, the, the Kestrel just has a larger capacity so we can roast more beans of time and it has a lot more power in it. We actually had to like, uh, install like a phase converter and like the whole installation of it was quite an ordeal, uh, (laughs) getting the facility to be in the right state to be able to handle that type of machinery. Um, if you're ever at the roastery, uh, the lofty roastery, if you go to the South side of the building, 
it's actually this beautiful piece of uh, engineering, but the stack, because we have both roasters in the same room and the way that the like the exhaust stacks go up along the building is like kind of, is pretty iconic. It looks really awesome, but that was, you know, all in that. But to kind of get to the main question uh, is how do I go about bringing out flavors within a coffee and creating a flavor profile? Um, My approach is that there's going to be inherent qualities and inherent flavors that the coffee has. And through the roasting, I'm not going to be able to add any flavors, but I'm going to be able to uncover the flavors. And that's kind of my thought. So, you know, I can't put the flavor of blueberry in a coffee that has more citrus chocolate notes. So I think the first step in really creating a flavor profile is identifying the coffee that has that flavor profile or identifying the flavor profile within the coffee. So once I've done that, and usually I do that through the sample roasting process, I'll do a few sample roasts and kind of um, just evaluate what qualities that coffee has. And once I've learned that these are coffees, this is a flavor profile that I want, maybe that's when I'll purchase the coffee. But when it gets into roasting, what I've learned, and I think a part of this definitely comes from some the the people I've learned from, some of their philosophies, and then also doing online research. I recently um, was uh, joined the the Roast Summit, which was a online conference that had amazing uh, <laughs> people talking about really cool topics in roasting that kind of blew my mind. And some of them, we can definitely talk about that in a moment, but I don't want to get too sidetracked. But Throughout a roast, if we're thinking about like a roast curve, which a lot of people think of like a roast profile, um, which is really just like data collected from uh, temperature probes within the roaster, there's different phases throughout the roast that can kind of help uncover different qualities of the coffee. Again, talking about my particular approach, what I'll do is let's say I have a washed Guatemalan coffee that I'm trying to profile out. I will actually go back and, and this is comes with some time, as you mentioned, like having time with it. I'll actually go back into previous profiles of a similar coffee and be like, this coffee is from a similar region, has a similar density and potentially even a similar flavor profile. And I'll kind of use that as a baseline. I'll roast the coffee kind of against that. And then from there, I'll cup it And from the cupping, I can start to see what qualities the coffee's having and is there anything else I can uncover. So, for example, potentially on that, the the different phases of the roast, so we can talk about the drying phase, the caramelization phase, and the development phase. I find that, you know, if I'm cupping a coffee, it's maybe has a bit more acidity and is lacking body, I might give it more time in the mylar phase, which is that that caramelization phase to give it a bit more body, maybe to like bring out more of those nice caramelized sweet sugars. And then similarly in the development phase, uh, it's interesting that each of these phases, there's kind of this sweet spot to find (laughs) where if you do too, like more time and development can give you more body, but too much time will take away from the body and vice versa. Too little time might not give enough body. So I might, if I'm being all over the place, let me know. 
No, this is this is great. And I've been I've been kind of like taking little notes because I have some follow up questions, which I can jump I can jump into one right now, which is the first part is easier. You you said density, and that's literally talking about like if you took a coffee bean and you examined it, how like dense and compact it is versus I, I want to use the word aerated, which isn't right, but like mozzarella cheese, like where it's not as as thick. And if anyone grinds at home, you might might notice sometimes when you grind, the beans go through really fast, and sometimes they're slower, and it feels like they're just harder like a harder Harder. bean. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of what you're referring to. So I want to confirm that. But then the Mm follow-up was essentially what I'm hearing is you spend a lot of effort in making sure you're sourcing coffees that you think will present the way you like. And that's, you're doing your research and your homework. Once you go through that process, you've sourced, you've started roasting based on whatever reason you've built up this history of other roasts you can refer to, to say, maybe this will work for this one. And you have Mm -hmm. a few samples one, are you cupping um, multiple variations of that roast, like changes in temperature, or changes in time at the same time afterwards to see how they reflect? And then two, how easy is it to replicate a roast time over time once you found the one you like? Yeah, that's a great question. So I, I think that this is also actually when I'm profiling a coffee, I totally did not mention this earlier, but what I end up doing in that first roast is throughout the development phase, I'll actually pull samples straight from the roaster. And then I'll cup all those. And that kind of gives me a gauge of like, what temperature I should end the roast at, as well as like how long I should leave the the coffee, um, or how long I should have the coffee developed for in that development phase. So for example, like, if I take a coffee 25 degrees past first crack, Maybe every two degrees, I'll pull a sample and then I can see, oh, at a minute and a half at this degree is where I'm getting the most sweetness. Or maybe I like the acidity of the one at this degree, but the the overall development of the coffee at this degree So or at this time. So maybe I'll like meet somewhere in the middle where I'll, I'll develop it for this much time, but I'll end it at this temperature. And so that's usually done in that first roast where I'm pulling lots of samples as it's roasting and I cup those. Some something that I do, and I'm I'm constantly cupping my coffee, and I'm definitely a little bit obsessive of like this can taste better. Um, so, uh, oftentimes throughout the course of a coffee that I have on our menu, what I'll do is when I cup it, sometimes I'll be like, you know what, maybe I this can have a little bit more sweetness. There it could be a little bit more clarity in the body. Uh, maybe that's something I know in our in our cupping. And what I'll do in the next roast, I'll do, I will maybe make adjustments that veer from our original profile. You know, maybe I add a 10 seconds in the caramelization, or maybe I drop it a few degrees lower. That's just an example. But, and then I'll also do another roast of the same profile so I can cup them side by side. Be like, was my approach to trying to bring out more sweetness or clear, like bring better body to the coffee did those adjustments work and i'm comparing that to the previous profile and then so a lot of it is tasting (laughs) it's a lot of like going off of what i've learned in the past from from cupping and then applying that and then uh tasting it to see if your theories make sense (laughs) you're talking about 
pulling beans out like every few minutes while it's still roasting and and sampling those but i'm assuming that doesn't mean you're pulling them out grinding them and brewing them and doing like a whole thing how do you transfer in your brain the flavor that you're getting from those beans however you're doing it and i guess i should ask what is it that you do when you pull them out where you're doing it kind of like every couple of minutes what are you doing yeah. in that process and then how do you take the flavors that you're pulling there and go, okay, I can, in my head, based on experience, look into the future and know this is going to end up where I think I want it to go. Yeah. So just to clarify, usually if I'm pulling samples, it's really towards the end of the roast and it's within a few seconds. So like, for example, I pull it like by degrees. So I'll probably start pulling about like 10 to 15 degrees before I end the roast and pull it every two or three degrees. So it's all pretty quick. Yeah, that's really interesting, just that idea. I, in my head, I was thinking it was based on time, but it's not. It's based on temperature. That is my approach to it because um, that helps me identify what the end temperature of the roast I want, of how, like that final temperature, which really also influences kind of that roast degree. And so that helps me identify that. But it also d has to do with time where I can look back into the, the profile or the reference and I can see, oh, at 410, it was at one minute. At this degree, it was at a minute and five seconds. Or, you know, so I can see the time correlate to the temperature and, and make that final profile accordingly. But you were asking how to, so yeah, what, what I do is I'll, I'll use the trier, which is that, that little mechanism that allows you to pull beans out of the, the roast drum. Um, and I have this like perforated tray and I'll also like, it's a lot of planning before you do the roast, but I set up some jars, which is what I, my sample jars that I, I keep not only roasted samples from end of roast, but if I'm doing this while I profile out of coffee, I'll set them all up with the degrees that I want to pull at. And then I have a vacuum on hand and it definitely helps if you have a, another person to help you, but I, I've had practice to be able to <laughs> do it all at once. Um, but I'll, I'll just pull that temperature that I'll pull a sample right into that perforated tray and I'll start vacuuming it. And then that next temperature I'll just put in the jars and then I quickly uh, transfer it into this perforated tray to cool it down because, you know, it's coming out of the roaster at sometimes 420 degrees. And so if you let that sit, it's going to start to kind of bake um, and potentially give flavors that you don't actually want. So uh, the cool down process is important in pulling samples like that. And so fortunately, I've, I have tools to allow me to <laughs> cool them down as quickly as possible. Yeah, I know that feeling of when you're watching a, a roast and the beans drop from the drum into like the into the tray and it's like spinning and cooling it down. The instinct is I want to reach in and touch them and grab them. And that's a bad instinct to have <laughs> like, uh, right away. That was like so much, so, so much uh, information to process. And I know. I feel like, I feel like I could have been a little <laughs> bit more like structured with it, but if any more questions come out, I'm happy to like re-clarify. I think ultimately Another approach that I've done if I'm not using like a reference of a previous coffee is to kind of just see how the coffee reacts to heat and learn from that initial roast of like, okay, like it's not taking the heat on very well. Like it needs more energy going in or 
you know, it starts to take off at first crack. And so you really need to manage your burner going into first crack, or you're just going to like, you know, lose, go, go through first crack too quickly or the vice versa, where maybe at first crack it crashes. And so just kind of taking note of that first roast of how, how it's reacting to the heat and then make plans accordingly for your next roast. But again, I think, I think with time and experience, and as you've worked with more coffees, you kind of can expect that. I I know a lot of like uh, natural Ethiopians for me, for example, you need to really manage your time going into first or your energy going into first crack because I find that they really like take off. And so sometimes if you you'll go too quickly through that for that period. And like, maybe you're aiming for a minute and a half of development time, but now I've actually only gotten a minute and 10 seconds. So that's an example of, of just knowing, knowing your coffee and knowing how it's going to react to the heat. There's such a combination of like preciseness and repetition and building a history, which is, I think a big part of what, what we're talking about today that it's amazing that anyone can make a good cup of coffee, <laughs> to be honest with you. Uh, but I, I'm grateful that you do. And I'm grateful that you're back on the show this season. Um, and hopefully, you know, in perpetuity as, as we do the show. I think that's a great spot to end this episode. But I'm really looking forward to chatting with you a little bit further and marinate on some of the things you said today and come up with more questions based on that. <laughs> yeah, thanks for asking. I feel like this is... This is a topic that for some people can feel very like hard to pinpoint because everyone has their own approach and their own theories of how to do this. And like I said, I I joined that Roast Magazine Summit and there was a presentation that blew my mind that I was just like, I've never approached roasting coffee like that. And that's insane, but also fantastic. And so there's... I think the more roasters have these conversations, the more we can learn from each other and the more better roasted coffee there will be out there. (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) It's actually getting hard to, I think it's getting harder to be like, trying to think of the best way to say this. I know I compare things to beer a lot. It's because I have a lot of experience there, but I think there was a, there was a time where everyone just kind of drank. This is the beer that I drink and I drink this beer all the time whether it was Sierra Nevada or it was Coors Light, didn't matter. And with coffee, I kind of feel like it was the same where you kind of just bought the same bag of coffee from the store all the time. Or if you had a local roaster, you went there. And now we're in this like amazing growth phase where there's new coffee roasters around every corner. And I find myself conflicted between going and getting the same cup of lofty coffee that I love every day versus trying every new place because I want to know what else is out there. And so I have found I have to have a balance. And, and for me, that means I, I buy a lot of bags of coffee for home that are from the places that I love and I know are great. And I, even I can make a good cup of coffee doing it. And I experiment when I'm on the road or when I'm traveling or I'm not in my own you know, world. But it's definitely getting harder and harder. And it's because, because uh, we have great roasters like you guys. <laughs> so thank you for being here. And uh, I'll see you, see, see you soon. See you soon. Thanks. It's so good to have Siri back. We're going to cover a lot with her this season, including how she tastes and samples coffee and some in-depth talk about milk in an upcoming episode. To recap from today, 
There was a lot of overlap between Chris and Siri's flavor development theories. To focus on Siri, there is a lot of work that goes into her sourcing and initial sampling of coffees. Plus, she has years of experience and has built a roast history that she can refer to when making her very first sample roasts of any new green coffee. Additionally, I was surprised at how narrow the window of time can be to create a different flavor variation during the sampling process. I assumed the same coffee would be pulled from the roaster at different endpoints, probably every 30 or 60 seconds, but Siri said it was more likely every few seconds. Those few seconds would mean that each sample had come out of the roaster at a different temperature. I'm just putting this idea out into the world, but I think it would be fun to do a guided sampling of the same coffee being pulled from the roaster at different times. It would keep the focus on how one coffee's final flavor can be altered during that roasting process. Thanks to Siri for always spending some of her time away from the roastery and the boulders she could be climbing on to spend some time with us today. And a huge thank you to this show's industry partners, including Ignite Coffee Roasters, Cafe La Terre, Moster Coffee Company, Coffee Cycle Roasting, Leap Coffee, Zumbar Coffee and Tea, Morea Coffee, Steady State Coffee Roasting, and Camp Coffee Company. We're also supported by First Light Whiskey and Cape Horn Coffee Importers. If you want to find links to all of those top-notch companies, head to RoastWestCoast.com and subscribe to the newsletter. As I mentioned after the roast interview with Hollis Swan, founder of Declination Roasting Company, I'll be donating all the proceeds from any new subscribers this week to humanitarian aid in Ukraine. If you have questions about coffee, send them to me on Instagram, at RoastWestCoast, and they might just end up on a future Roast West Coast Coffee Smarter episode. As a reminder, I'll see you at the Zumbar Coffee and Tea in Cardiff next week, Friday, March 11th from 9 to 11. I'll have the microphone set up and hopefully get a chance to chat with some of you about why you love coffee or anything else. Thank you for listening and subscribing, everyone. This episode of the Roast West Coast Coffee Podcast is, was, has been written, produced, and recorded by me, Ryan Wolt. I hope this show has found you happy, healthy, and with at least enough sanity to make it through the day. And please, always tip your baristas, now more than ever, and be sure to drink good coffee. I like beer. It makes me a jolly good fellow. Welcome to I Like Beer, the podcast, where we discuss great beers and the stories that go with them. I'm your host, Jeff. And I'm your host, Jeff. We are lucky enough to live in North County, San Diego, a beer mecca within a beer mecca, where it's 72 degrees all year long, and there are over 160 breweries within minutes. Weather's nice, the water's warm, the beer is cold, and there are stories to be told. We believe beer is a drink for friends, for sharing a laugh, telling a tale or two, and for contemplating life and how to live it. We're not your ordinary beer pod, so grab a beer, pull up a bar stool, and join us for a few laughs. You can find us wherever you get your pods, and also on Instagram and Facebook at I Like Beer the Podcast, as well as on Twitter or our website, I Like Beer the Looking forward to having you join us. Cheers. As a matter of fact, I love beer.